If you were to look at a timeline of history, we would find that we are currently living in a period of time that the Bible calls the last days. Now, people could call it whatever they want, but the Bible calls this period of time we're living in the last days. And I want to make this clear because a lot of, I hear people in the church world say, well, in the last days, like when the last days are coming, uh, friends, we're living in the period of time in the Bible called the last days. Peter, in the sermon that he preached at Pentecost, you know what Pentecost is? Pentecost was the day of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and it was the real first sermon preached after Jesus died and rose again, and the 120 of his followers were huddled in a room waiting before God launched him into the ministry of developing the church that we're a part of. We became, 2,000 years later, part of that church. They're in there, and the Holy Spirit was poured out on that Jewish holiday called Pentecost. It was the first harvest, the celebration of the, of the beginning of harvest, and it was the beginning of the harvest of souls on the day of Pentecost. That Peter, in his sermon that he preached on that first Pentecost, that outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, quoted the prophet Joel, and he said this, And it shall be that in the last days, God... that." God says that I shall pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And he explains what's going on on the day of Pentecost. The last, he says, in these last days, that the last days began at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is being poured out upon all who follow Jesus now from Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit now dwells within Christian people. We are now the temples of the Holy Spirit according to the Apostle Paul. And we can live spirit-filled lives because we live in the last days. The last days began with the Holy Spirit's outpouring on Pentecost, which was the birth of the church. And it lasts all the way until Jesus returns to earth to establish his rule and his reign. So that's the period of time that we call the last days, when Jesus left until Jesus comes back. So we right now are living in the last days. And we have been living in the last days for almost 2,000 years. And the Apostle Paul, in his second letter that he wrote to Timothy, which was his ministry protege, young Timothy is the guy who is you know, gonna, his, his ministry partner, um, he says something to him about the last days. And so grab your Bibles and turn to what he wrote to Timothy in his second letter to Timothy in the church, third chapter. So 2 Timothy chapter 3 Paul is writing to Timothy about the last days. The last days that began at Pentecost and that will go all the way until Jesus comes back. This period of time we're living in, it's been 2,000 years long about now. He's writing about this period of time. And look what he says, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verses, verse 1. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Say difficult times. So in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. So parents, you're not alone. Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. 
Now, just a little sidebar. It kind of flies in the face of any thought that the world is getting better and better. Kind of flies in the face of any thought of evolution. We're evolving to something better. What, what Peter or Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy is saying, as we get to the end days, it's going to show that the world's actually degenerating. It's getting worse and worse. And I have to think that most of us would say we see a lot of this type of behavior in our own world today. We see people, lovers of money, lovers of self, arrogant, unholy, without self-control, saying they have the power of God but no relationship with God, lovers of pleasure more than the lovers of God, right? We see that kind of stuff all around us. And why do we see that? Because these are the last days that you are living in, according to the Bible, the time the, the, the timeline of the Bible, we are living in the last days. And this time period has been going on for a very long time, and it would be or it could be easy to live in this time and forget that God has a plan to take the next step and to bring about the ultimate rule and reign of his kingdom. But the Bible says that at the end of this, that's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to set up his own rule and reign completely. And it'd be easy, because it's 2,000 years, to be in the middle of it and kind of forget this and say, it's just not going to happen. This doesn't seem possible. It's been forever. Well, friends, you're not alone if you think that way, because even the people just a few decades after Jesus promised to return and wrap up the last days, even those people who had just received that promise felt like it was taking too long for Jesus to return. And that's why Peter, in the second letter that he, explained, that he wrote, Explain that God has a purpose in the delay of his return, this extending of the last days. So flip in your Bible, just a little bit towards the end of your Bible, to the book of 2 Peter. We're going to get to 1 Peter in a minute. But turn to 2 Peter, because we've been going through 1 Peter. We're, we're doing this rabbit trail to get there. And look what Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 9. 2 Peter Chapter 3, verses 3 to 9. Know this first of all, that in the what? Last days. That in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep or died, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. And when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. So you talk about the Noah's flood. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact, here you go, do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance." Did you see there the purpose in his delaying? It says he's delaying his return. It says he's being slow about his return. He's extending the last days. Do you see why? It says he's being patient 
toward people. Not wishing for anyone to perish. To, in other words, to enter eternity without knowing Christ as Savior and Lord. Not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. Repentance, changing the direction of their life from where they were living with their self as God and now understanding that, that God is God and living under his rule and his reign. So he's given them a chance to, to make that about face in their life and turn their life over to Christ. That God is giving people more and more time, he says, to get saved. Well, friends, that's love. That's amazing grace. So often we, we, I hear to people in the church world, and I do it myself, we go, and the Bible says this, Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. It was how the Apostle Paul ended one of his letters. And we go, come on, Lord, just come back. And we look at it from our perspective, but God's looking at it from humanity's perspective and going, listen, Mark, I got the brakes on for a while because I'm giving more people a chance to come to know me. Do you understand that globally, not in the Western world, which is where we live, in Europe and North America, where the church is really having its maybe hardest time ever, that the rest of the globe is seeing the greatest revival of people coming into the kingdom of God that's ever happened in all of human history? That's going on right now in the world. While we're sitting there, this is why you can't read, you can't read end time stuff through American politics. Because the rest of the world, we're 4% of the world, the rest of the 96% of the world is seeing the greatest revival they've ever seen in all of human history going on. And God is saying, listen, it's out of my love that I'm waiting. Well, we're going, yeah, but you don't understand what I'm going through. God says, yes, I do. But out of my love, my amazing grace, I am prolonging this period of time. And God, for God to prolong it, for him, in his view, it's nothing. He says to God, a thousand years is like one day. So I just think this way. People always say, Jesus is going to come back for sure. And I go, he may. Hope he does. But here's the deal. If he just takes a coffee break, it's like six of our lifetimes. You know? He just, he just decides to drink a Coke. You know? And, uh, and like, uh, my great-grandkids aren't around anymore. You know? That's what he's saying. That a thousand years is like a day. He's just waiting a few extra days according to his timetable. So friends, we... Those living in 2021, we're living in the last days. These last days have been going for about 2,000 years. And one day they will end when Jesus brings his final judgment and establishes his eternal rule and his eternal reign through his eternal kingdom. And these days, according to Paul, will bring out bad in people, not everybody, but those who don't know Christ, will bring out the worst in humanity. And Paul, what he basically said to Timothy is, it's going to get worse and worse during these times. So that's what the Bible says about what the end times, the last days are like. Now, it's in light of this understanding. That's why I had to lay this foundation. It's in light of this understanding Peter then writes what we are going to look at today as we look back into 1 Peter. And we're almost done with 1 Peter. We've got like three messages to go in it. And understanding that the last days, he's the, the background is an understanding that the last days are difficult. And that we as the church need to be living and acting during these last days in a certain way to a particular group of people. Now other places in scripture could say how we should act in other ways towards other group of people, but this instruction we're going to look at today is specifically written about how living in the last days, we should act and live in certain ways 
towards one another. Towards those of us living in the church world, the family of God, how do we live and act towards one another during the difficult times called the last days? So with this understanding, let's look at our text for today. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 7. I gotta to get to the right Peter here. First cheater, first cheater, first Peter, first cheater, first Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sober judgment, be of, be, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, Keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look how he starts off writing in verse 7 there, which he's starting a new paragraph um, in his letter, so a new thought. He says, the end of all things is near. So he's talking about this end times we're living in. In other words, the last days that we're in eventually will come to an end. The end of all things is near. The end of the last days is near. We're not there yet, but we're closer than we were yesterday. They say, people say when. So I don't know, but I know this. We're closer than we were Yesterday, So he says, the end of all things is near. The end times are coming to an end. It's near. And then look, look at the next word. Therefore. Whenever you see therefore, pay attention. When you see but or therefore or because, it means, okay, this happens. Therefore, something is following. Therefore, the end of all things is near. Therefore, or in light of the reality that we just talked about, that we're living in the end of the last days. Therefore, what? What does he say? Therefore, what? What does he instruct us about in the text we just read? He instructs us about how we Christian people are to interact with one another, how we are to treat one another. This entire section is about how Christian people are to treat one another during, the, during challenging times, during the end, the last, the last days. Look at the one another's in this section. Verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for who? One another. Because love covers a multitude of sin. Verse 9. Be hospital to who? Hospitable to whom? One another without complaint. Verse 10. As each has received a special gift, which is a spiritual gift, employ it in serving whom? One another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. This entire section is about how we, you and I, are to treat one another during difficult times. And I want to think about this. Why do you think Peter chose to specifically deal with this topic? I think it's, it's, it's quite easy. It's because difficult times rarely bring out the best in people. Did you know that? Difficult times, stress and challenges rarely bring out the best in people. Think about it. If you have a particularly difficult day at school or work, 
Do you tend to treat your family better or worse? You don't have to answer. That could be rhetorical. We know the answer. Let's be honest. Usually it's worse. We get tired. We get crabby. And that can affect how we act towards whom? One another. So Peter reminds us that, that how we treat one another matters. That those of us within the family of God should treat one another better than those outside the family of God might treat one another. He's saying, listen, I'm calling you to something better, something higher, something more revealing of the reality of God in your life. So how does Peter say we should treat one another during difficult times? Well, I see a couple of ways here. The first is this. He says that we should keep fervent in love toward one another. He says, because it covers a multitude of sins. We should keep fervent in love toward one another. Well, what might it look like to keep fervent in love towards one another at Portview Church? What might that look like? Remember, make it real in your life. When you read the Bible, don't let it just be some hypothetical thing because it was never intended to be that way. It's intended to be God's love letter to you and me, helping us come to know Him and become conformed to His likeness. And explain what he's doing. And so what might it look like to keep fervent in love towards one another in Portview? Or at Portview? Well, fervent, fervent in love speaks of intention and action. It's not something automatic. To be fervent doesn't just mean it just happened by happenstance. It means you intended to do it. It's an action more than it's a feeling. Well, let's think of it this way. Have you ever in church, don't raise your hand. Ever been offended by another person at Portview Church? Don't raise your hand. No amens. Just think. Maybe they said something to you that hurt your feelings. Or they responded to a social media post in a way that you disagreed with. That doesn't happen anymore. Or you felt overlooked. Or you weren't included in some social activity. But somebody else was. And you got your feelings hurt. You ever had your feelings hurt? You can respond to that. Yes. How did you react? How did you react? Did you passive-aggressively make some cutting, joking statement to that person or hurt you or about that person? I can be a master at that. Just joking. Did you passively-aggressively deal with it? Did you distance yourself from that person? You put up walls in your life? You just pretended they don't exist in my world anymore. Did you respond in anger? You told, you gave them a piece of your mind. That's the American way. Give you, give you a piece of my mind. That's not God's way, but it's the American way. Did you just leave? Did you walk away? Maybe you're watching online right now, and the reason you're online is because somebody offended you, and you're not at port with you today. Did you just walk away? Or at least you walked away from the relationship and you said, you know, I'm just not being involved in that person anymore. I got my feelings hurt. And I responded in one of these ways. When our text, Peter gives us some insight into what's the really the appropriate way, because all those are inappropriate ways to deal with it. All those are childish ways, human ways, non-godly ways to deal with it. But Peter gives us some insight in how should we deal with it as ch- children of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, living in the kingdom, 
in the great family that we have called Portview Church. And look what he says here. He says, we saw the rate, keep fervent in love. So in other words, work hard at loving. Because, because it's like, however, watch it. What's coming after it? Because what? Love covers a multitude of sins. Look at that. Peter is showing how we may cover various sins. To cover them up as opposed to elevating them. As opposed to making a big deal out of them. Yes, I didn't like your Facebook post. Yes, I felt hurt. Am I going to make a big deal out of that? In order to keep fervent love, what can I do? He's showing that in a loving environment, which Portview Church is and we need to get better at, Every little issue doesn't need to become a big issue. This is what he's talking about. Every little issue, every little offense doesn't need to become a big issue, a big offense. Because friends, you can't spend time with anybody without having hurt and offense happen. It's just the way it is. And in mature love, in a situation with mature love, we just cover up or overlook some of the stuff that we could get offended by. We just choose to say, you know what, I'm not going to be offended by that or I don't understand it or maybe I misunderstood or whatever, we're not going to make a big deal out of it. The writer of Proverbs said it like this, Proverbs 19.11. A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, hear this, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. It is a man's glory to overlook a transgression. Love helps us to look past some of the little things that could cause tension and problems in the relationships in the kingdom of God. Just love enough to let it go and don't make an issue out of it. If you've been offended, put it behind you, take it to the cross, leave it there, and come back and live in the joy of the relationships in the kingdom. That's what he's getting at here. Now, I shouldn't have to say what I'm going to say, but I have to say it because I know what some of you are thinking. This is obviously, Peter is obviously not talking about covering up sins that someone committed that hurt another person, like abuse or, or molestation or something like that. It's not talking about the part of the church world had a big problem with that. It's, he's not obviously talking about, because that does not line up with the rest of Scripture of love. He's talking about the day-to-day way we function with each other, that love covers a multitude of sins. The things that we do to interact with each other because we live in a stress-filled world and we don't always react as we should. Sometimes we react in a way we weren't even thinking about. And we don't even know it and somebody gets offended by it. He's saying maturity says love covers a multitude of sins. So Peter, he's, he's challenging us to love one another fervently enough that we choose to overlook things that could cause us to be offended or hurt. Those things that can easily happen when we are living lives in difficult times. And he's talking about the difficult times here and saying they, the times we live in are difficult times. So he said, what's the first thing? He says, fervently love each other because love covers the multitude of sins. What's the next thing he says? What else? Look at the next one. He says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. It's really interesting. Be hospitable. How do we live this out? And remember, in hard times, how do we live it out right in the, how do we live love in the world? 
How do we live with one another properly? And he says, the second thing is, we're hospitable with one another without complaint. The New Living Bible translation translates this like this. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. I think that translation helps us better get the feeling of what Peter is writing about here. Because it's more personal. I would say this, it's more homey. You know, be honest with yourself about this. Let's take it to the level of the home. Is your home, no matter what your home is like, big or small, it's what, you, what do you have, is your home a place where you bless others? Is it a place where people gather for a meal and know they are welcome? Or is your house your fortress of solitude? Isn't that Superman? Superman? I'm not a comic guy, but it's Superman, right? Is it your fortress of solitude? A place where only you and only your immediate little peeps, your immediate little family are ever really welcome. You say, well, why was that important? Why would you bring it to that level? Here's why it's important. Because your home reveals the reality of your understanding about what it means to be part of the family of God. So ask yourself this question. Is being part of the family of God just about attending large group meetings at a church building? I go to Portview. Never God's plan for how the church operates. We don't go to church. We are the church. And if our view is of our home is... You know, my view of the church, rather, is I just go to the building with the large group. That says something about your understanding of the kingdom of God. Or is it more personal, more inclusive than that to you? Is, is it about your entire life, especially your home life? How you live in your home, and I'm not saying in the COVID world you're worried about germs. Of that, that, take that out of here. That's not, we're not talking about that. We're talking about... Without that, is your home a place where, he says, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay? How we live in our home matters. It shows our belief of our engagement with the family of God in the kingdom of God. So Peter is showing us that as times get more difficult in this world, we as Christians, because he's saying it's going to get worse and worse, need to get more intimate with one another. More about doing life together. You know why? Remember the title of this series we started a couple months ago? We don't fit. Because the more the world goes towards the, the, the opposite direction, the more we don't fit and the more we need one another. And we can live that out. We see how it's lived out in our home life. We can look at something practical and go, is my house the fortress of solitude that no one else is allowed in? Or is my home a place where I can share a meal with somebody? can look at our houses and see it. And look how he says it here. I think he added this, and I, I think it's so that we can't tease, we can't trick ourselves without complaining. You do it without complaining. And I think the only way we can do something without complaining is it's because we something, it's something we actually value and we want to do. Otherwise, we do it and we complain about it. We don't complain when the guests show up. We complain before the guests show up to our family. I don't want them in here. Oh, so glad you're here today. You never do that, right? Don't lie. There's days that because you're tired, I get that. But as a, as a general rule, he's saying, look at your home life. 
how do we live with one another? How do, how do we live right with one another in hard times, difficult times, in the end times? We have, we're hospitable to one another. Let's look at the last one, finally. Peter says, another way that we are to serve one another in trying times is by using our God-given gifts to serve and to bless one another. Each one, he says, has received a special gift. As each one, you know, you have received gifts from the Lord, spiritual gifts. As each one has received a special gift, you have, if you're a follower of Jesus, employ it in serving one another as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. I want us to think about this. What gifts, gift or gifts, do you think God has given you? Gifts, abilities that God has given you. Peter lists a few here. He says, speaking or teaching. So what I'm doing right now, he says, he calls it a gift. And he says, if you do it, speak as though you're speaking the oracle of God. That's the way I try to approach it. You know, I'm just telling you God's word. He also, he points out serving in this one. He said, people who serve, serve with all you have. Elsewhere in scripture, the spiritual gifts, there's the spiritual gifts of giving, of you know, generosity, of leadership, of mercy, of exhortation, of, of healing and miracles and prophecy, all those power gifts where you pray for somebody and they get healed or you have a message in, in, in tongues and interpretation, all those gifts listed in Scripture. He says all of us have been given special gifts. He says at least one. So think about it. What is yours? Think. What might the gift that God's given you be? Is it leadership? Is it generosity? Is it teaching? Is it serving? What gifts has he given you? Some of you can tell it by the direction you've gone in your life, the area you've, you've gone to develop because that's what you love because you're gifted in that area. So think about it. What gifts has God given you? Now here's the next question. Do you use those gifts in the workaday world? Do you use your gifts in the workaday world? Are you a leader at work because you have a leadership gift? And, and, you, and you get paid for it. Are you a teacher because you have teaching gifts? Are you an administrator in the work in the workaday world because you have, you have giftings? Praise the Lord if you have those and you employ them in your job. Now, I'll be honest. Do you use those gifts in your local church? I wrote something here. I wrote pause. Red letters. Pause. Wait. Because it could be an uncomfortable silence. Do we use those gifts in our local church? Because that's what Peter is getting at here. That each and every one of us would use those gifts that God has given us, yes, in the workaday world, but also to serve, it says here, to serve one another. And that one another is clearly talking about our relationship with other people in the family of God. Are we, giving, are we using those, our God-given gifts, to serve one another in the family of God? Because Peter's saying that's the most important place to employ your spiritual giftings. He says it's an imperative as we live in these last days. That the only way we will thrive in the last days is that each and every one of us use the gifts that God has given us toward to serve one another in the family of God. That the way we will make it in the last days is we will serve each other with the giftings God has given us corporately to create the body that God wants us to have here at Portview and everywhere else the body of Christ is expressed in local expressions. He's saying it's imperative if we've lived in the last days. And look what he says happens if we do this. 
Look at the last, last part of verse 11. He says it glorifies God. He says, do this with the strength God supplies. Use your gifts. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He's saying when we use our gifts to serve one another, he says, as good stewards of those gifts that God has given us, one another, the family of God, as we use those in the family of God, we are glorifying God. And friends, isn't that our real goal anyways? Isn't that our real goal? I hope so. To bring glory to God. So we use our gifts which originate from God. Some of you are incredibly gifted. Understand where that came from, from God. He gave you those gifts so you could employ it in the family of God and in the workaday world. So bring glory to Him through the church family that He chose you to be part of. So let's wrap this thing up. So how do we treat one another as we live in the last days, which is this 2,000 year who knows, God thinks another Pepsi, how long it's going to go, but it might end today. How does he say we should live towards one another right now? We should keep fervent in love towards one another because it covers up our sins. So love enough that we overlook the small stuff. What a great advice for marriage. We should be hospitable towards one another without complaint. So having people over for a meal and being welcome into your life. We should use our God-given gifts to serve and bless one another in the family of God. And I have to believe that these are all things that we can embrace and we can grow into. Right? So I want to close just by praying and asking God to help us to grow into these areas. So join me in prayer. Father, um, thank you for the practicality of your word. Thank you that also for the, the um, forthrightness of your word. That when we look at what you've inspired, in this case inspired Peter to write to us, to Christians for 2,000 years. Lord, we see that you give us really practical direction on how to live in these days, these last days. And Lord, you're painting a picture of something beautiful. You know, can we even imagine how awesome it can be when we love each other fervently and cover up the small stuff. Don't let the small stuff become big stuff. Lord, can we imagine what it's like that we're so hospitable towards one another that no one feels left out and those who tend to feel left out would even take their, they would take the step of being hospitable because the reason they feel left out so many times is because they're not hospitable towards anybody else and they just don't understand it. That Lord, you could help us grow in that area that all of us could be hospitable towards one another, not just a couple of people. We'd all could be hospitable towards one another. And that God, then this incredibly gifted family, amazing gifts you've put in people's lives. God, that you're employing them and you want to even do it more in the family of God to accomplish the most important stuff. Because we know what's most important in this planet is people knowing you. And 
and the church, for the church and a church family to be healthy and strong and active is all 100% tied to each one of us employing the gifts you've given us. For your glory, they're your gifts. We give them back to you through the local church, through the family of God. Lord, we can only imagine as we continue to give ourselves to this, what an amazing, incredible future you have for us here. What amazing, incredible future you have for your church. And so, Father, we just say this. We don't want to get left behind. We don't want to miss so many wonderful things because we're just stuck. We want to grow. We want to move forward. We want to become more like Jesus. And so, Lord, right now with our hearts, I think, being open. Friends, if your hearts feel closed, just literally, as an act of your will, open up your hands. Open them to God. Our hearts being opened. God, that's the position we want to have. Lord, would you help us grow in these areas? to be more loving, more hospitable, more um, intentional about using our gifts, the gifts you've given us for your glory. Because God, we know this, we're not the ones putting this whole thing together. We're not the ones who, who called us by name and put us where you've put us. You did it all because you have an amazing plan that you're, you're, you're developing. And God, we, we do cry out, Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. We cry out for the for the end of this age and to be ushering in of the new age when, you, when, when no more sin, no more devil, no more fighting, only glory in your presence. We cry out, Maranatha, even so come, Lord Jesus. But we hear your voice from your word that says the reason you're with, 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 with stand, or withdrawing or, or standing back, holding on, because there's still some people who've never come to know you and you love them so much you want them to. And church family, as we're praying today, I hope that every one of us understands this. Maybe you're here today, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Maybe you're here today, friend. You're at Portview maybe for the first time or maybe the 50th time, I don't know, but you're here today and, and you know this, that ultimately you're not really living for Jesus. You don't have him as your Lord and Savior. But today you're ready to say, Pastor Mark, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to welcome Jesus into my life. Maybe you're watching online and you're ready. Something in your heart's stirring and it's saying, I'm empty without the Lord and I need Him. Today is the day to say yes to Jesus. And so as we're just in a quiet moment here in church, you say, Pastor Mark, I'm ready to say yes. Well, I want you to do something at home if you're watching online or those of you in this, in this building. I want you to do something. It's not for me, it's for you. Because I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to even acknowledge it other than saying, I see you. If you're here today and you're saying, I'm ready to say yes to Jesus, to ask him to be my Savior and Lord, to turn away from, my, from the life I've been living with myself as God and have Jesus be my Lord, my God. I want you to do something between you, me, and God because no one else is looking. I want you just to slip up your hand. 
Just raise it up nice and high. And when I see it, I'm going to tell you to, to put it down. Okay? Nice and high. All right. Jesus, you see us today. Okay. You can put your hands down. I see those. I'm going to invite you to pray. Those of you across this room who have said yes. You're doing what all of us, most of us have done in our lives. And, and you're, you're taking the step saying, I need Jesus in my life. And here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to pray. I'm going to invite everybody in the whole church family to pray this morning. Everybody's going to join us. We're all going to pray out loud. And there's nothing special about the words. We're just talking to God. And we're just going to lead you in a prayer that says yes to Jesus. And welcomes him into your world. And so I'm going to invite everybody to pray. And those of you who have raised your hand this morning, I want you just to, to pray along and just mean it from your heart. Just mean it from your heart. Because God is, God is listening to you right now. So let's all pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you're calling my name. That I'm hearing your voice. So today, I want to respond to you. I open up my heart and I welcome you in to my life. On this day, Jesus, I want to follow you. I've been doing it on my own, and it's not working. So, Lord Jesus, on this day, wipe away all the junk from my life. Give me a brand new start. And from this day forward, help me to follow you. So on this Sunday morning, I declare to you that I am your child. I want to walk with you. I want to learn from you. And I want to become like you. I thank you in Jesus' name.